Friends, will you join me in prayer? May we pray? Our Father, we pray that you would adjust and make any adjustments that we might need in the attitude of our hearts to fully embrace your word. I pray that I would be faithful to the preaching and that, Lord, your work, your purposes will come about as a result. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, last month was Pentecost Sunday, so that would have been about six weeks ago. And today's topic is actually very suitable for Pentecost Sunday. In fact, it is entirely about Pentecost. Uh, as much as I would love, uh, I would have loved to, to be able to sync up today's message with the occasion of Pentecost last month, unfortunately we couldn't. Uh, because we needed to finish our sermon series on 1 Samuel, uh, which, by the way, as, as Brother Chong Jin mentioned just now, is very good timing for, for the book on Saul. So please do pick up a copy later. Uh, Reverend Dr. Ong Men Chai is my lecturer, uh, was one of my lecturers. And yeah, uh, we have 20 copies. Okay, so pick it up before it runs out. Okay, but uh, to today's message... Uh, the, the focus of Pentecost, the, the whole reason why we celebrate Pentecost is because we, it's an annual reminder, an annual focus on the occasion when the Spirit came upon the believers and activated the church. And so that's what's happening today. We'll be looking at that. Uh, we, we don't need a specific day for that. Uh, we want to remember, we want to focus on how the Spirit came upon the believers and activated the church. The takeaway message for today is, wait, I'm clicking. Eh. Uh, you click once. Ah, okay, now I can control. Okay, so the, the takeaway message is that the Holy Spirit activates the church by uniting it, growing it, and empowering it. Okay, so this is the uh, if you walk out of this century, you forget everything. Uh, those of you at home after the service, what was Pastor talking about? This is it. Okay, so if you want, take a photo, take a screenshot, whatever. Okay, the Holy Spirit activates the church by uniting it, growing it, and empowering it. Now, this is our second week into our series of the Book of Acts. Last week, we looked at how Jesus had uh, given his disciples the command to not leave Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit, and be his witnesses, right, to the ends of the earth. Today, we see those promises fulfilled. Now, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples returned to Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit. Within those 10 days, they spend time in prayer and they also uh, choose Matthias, to replace Judas as one of the 12 apostles, okay? And then the day of Pentecost arrives. So that, that's the sequence of events. Now let's look at Pentecost as the background for today's passage. What is Pentecost? It comes from the Greek word, pen, uh, Pentecosti. 
if that's how you pronounce it. Uh, basically, it means 50th, okay? 50, eh? 50th. And it's basically referring to the Jewish festival of weeks, uh, which is uh, Shavuot in Hebrew. Now, originally, this, this festival is a harvest festival. But later, it came to be a day when they commemorated the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And so, during this festival of weeks, they, they would remember, they would celebrate how God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. And so, this festival is celebrated the day after the point when seven weeks have passed after the Passover. So, if you do some simple maths, huh? seven weeks times seven days is how many days? How's your maths? <laughs> 49, right? Okay, so the day after, 50. Okay, so 50th day, Pentecost. Now in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon the believers on the day of Pentecost. And when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, it effectively gave birth to the church. So Pentecost is also referred to as the birthday of the Church of Jesus Christ. I mentioned that last week. I'm sure this is not new to you. But if you read Acts chapter 1, you will find that not only were there the 11 disciples, because no more Judas, right? 11 disciples. There were also the women. There were also the brothers of Jesus. And there were also other believers, numbering about 120. Okay, so that's actually the size of you know, one of the uh, a sizable church. Uh, like maybe our weekly congregation up to this point has been around 120 within this century. And so, doesn't that count as a church? Well, the literal definition of the word church, uh, in Greek it's ecclesia, it does refer to a gathering or an assembly. Okay? But Ecclesia is not just any random bunch of people that you find uh, gathered together. Okay? If you go out into the street and then you see just a couple of people, uh, they just randomly happen to be waiting at the bus stop together, uh, that is not an Ecclesia. Okay? It's, it's not a gathering or an assembly of just a random bunch of people. Specifically, Ecclesia refers to an assembly that has been summoned for a purpose or called out for a purpose, a common purpose. And so the church is a gathering of believers, yes, but they have been called out for the purpose of making disciples and witnessing for Christ to the ends of the earth. We looked at that briefly last week. And this mission of witnessing and making disciples cannot be done without the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus asked the disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit. Without God's mission of disciple-making, we are not the church. We're just a, a social club of people who share a common belief or share a common interest, like a Facebook group or WhatsApp group. Yeah? And so I hope after last week, each of you were able to identify that one thing that you are doing to contribute towards the making of disciples for Jesus. Because 
That one thing sets you apart from other social groups. That one thing identifies you as church. So coming back to the birth of the church, it happened when the believers were baptized in the Holy Spirit, immersed in Him, becoming one with Him, as we saw last week. Uh, because this was the first time the Holy Spirit uh, was coming upon the believers after Jesus had ascended, this was a two-part sequence, okay? They were believers in Jesus first, and then only they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But after the Holy Spirit came upon the believers to activate the church, from then on, He comes upon every believer who truly believes and gives their lives to Christ. Okay, so today when we, when we truly believe in Christ, you know, not just come to church or, or call ourselves a Christian, but we truly repent of our sins and we follow Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit comes upon us at that moment. And sometimes His presence might be accompanied by things like speaking in tongues, okay, like Pentecost. Other times, it's accompanied by feeling our hearts strangely warmed or uh, uncontrollable crying. Uh, or sometimes it's something more subtle. Sometimes it's a, a tingly feeling or a, a deep sense of peace. Whatever it is, God ministers to us according to who we are and where we are in our lives in different ways. So we don't need to expect to reproduce Pentecost exactly as it is recorded in Acts chapter 2 because that is a historic event when the church was first born, not necessarily a pattern to follow every conversion experience today. Okay, so within our method, if, if you're not clear, because the other denominations may teach uh, differently, within our Methodist understanding and theology, uh, becoming a believer is what baptizes you baptizes you in the spirit okay not that there isn't a separate spirit baptism after that so if you meet somebody and they ask you have you been baptized by the spirit if you're truly a christian you say yes lah. okay you don't have to hmm, have i had uh you know this experience have i uh, uh spoke spoken spoken in tongues and that sort of thing okay if you're a genuine follower of jesus christ you have already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is another thing, okay? We'll look at that another time. Well, today, I want us to look at three things that the Holy Spirit did during the birth of the church and what that means for us. And the first thing is that the Holy Spirit united the believers. We see uh, yesterday, uh, sorry, yesterday, last week, last week we saw how Jesus told the believers, remain in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that command, they were gathered in one place when the Holy Spirit came, right? They were all uh, in one place. The Holy Spirit came upon them at the same time. And so there wasn't a case of uh, Holy Spirit came upon me first. That means I'm better. You know, he came upon you later. You're not so good. That kind of thing came all at once. But on top of that, in verse 41, we can see that 3,000 people were baptized and added to the number of believers. 
And these were people from every nation under heaven. Now, the, the Jews, remember how this is a, a festival, huh? it's a festival of weeks, okay? And so Jews and converts to Judaism would have come from all over the place to celebrate the festival of weeks in Jerusalem. They, so it's, it's a bit like a, a mini, mini hajj, okay? Uh, they, they would come from all over the place, gather in Jerusalem. And so 3,000 of very, very different people came together. And so if you look at S chapter 2, verse 8 to 11, you know, when they start speaking in tongues and then uh, all these different people, they start, wow, I, I hear them in our own language. You see, if you take the time to count, there are at least 15 languages recorded in verses 8 to 11. Now, whenever we hear the word tongues, usually we think of the angelic language that we don't understand. Huh? But in this case, the tongues are just other languages, human languages that people understood. So there are at least 15 different languages declaring the wonders of God. Can you imagine? That, that just shows how diverse this group is. Imagine a group of, uh, a huge crowd of people, at least 15 different languages being spoken. Okay, that would be a very, very diverse group. If in this century you have three people, uh, sorry, three different languages being spoken already, it's considered quite diverse, right? Most of us, uh, at, at least within the context of church, uh, we only speak one language, maybe two, uh, maybe three, but 15, right? Very, very diverse. And so what the Holy Spirit did was bring this very, very diverse group of 3,000 over people of different nations, different languages, to one common faith in Jesus Christ. And so the symbolism of so many different languages being spoken is very clear. The gospel and the church was open to everybody. No matter how different, the gospel was open to everyone. The fact that the Bible mentions different nationalities is important because different nations represent the biggest differences, not just different geographical locations that they're from, but differences in language, differences in interest, differences in culture, differences in values, differences in lifestyle, all sorts of differences. And even though they were so different, they were united by the Spirit. Now, if we read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, sorry, it's a bit small, uh, but you see that after the, the 3,000 uh, added, added to their number, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And this adding of number is probably even more diverse people. Okay, so this diverse group 
still coming together to celebrate and to worship the Lord together. Remember, at least in this passage, at least 3,120 believers, okay? That's the size of a mega church already. And so 3,120 very different people united by the same spirit. This is almost like a reversal of the Tower of Babel. If you remember that story from Genesis, how the people were dispersed into different languages. And so here they were united even though they spoke different languages. And the Holy Spirit is responsible. But the church is not always united, is it? I'm not talking about Penang Trinity, uh, so you don't go in. Uh, you're talking about me uh, and how I, I don't like this person. No, 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 no. Okay? I don't think we have major issues uh, with unity in, in our church. At least I'm not aware. Uh, I'm very blurred. Uh. Uh, but I'm talking about the church in general. Okay? If you know of any Christian, you know of any church, uh, you know that unity is not a guaranteed thing. It's not 100% of the time whether between individual believers or whether between different groups, the church is not always united. Not nice to hear, but it's a fact. Even if we have the same goal in mind, uh, we differ so much in our methods, in our priorities, in our understanding, in how we communicate, all those different things. And yet, we are still called to unity. Many, many, many verses in the Bible call us to unity. And it's all possible because we all share the same Holy Spirit. So God doesn't give us commands that we can't keep. Okay? And the reason why we can keep His commands of unity is that we have the same Holy Spirit. During Pentecost, the image of Tongues of fire separating, resting on each believer means that that same fire came from the same source, that same Holy Spirit. So we can't let our differences stand in the way of unity with our fellow brothers and sisters, even those that we don't get along with. Now, we would normally find it very difficult to... You know, be united with people who are very different from us, right? That's why cliques happen. That's why we, we tend to gather with people that think like us, speak like us, like the same things and all that. But if we have the same Holy Spirit inside us and we listen to Him, then we will all respond the same way, which is the way that He wants. Okay, so let me give you a very simple example. If two very different people are in a heated argument and they use hurtful words on one another, they're both Christians, they are both baptized by the Spirit, the same Holy Spirit prompts them to be humble, to forgive, and to seek forgiveness from the other person. If they both followed that same prompting by the same Holy Spirit, they would both humble themselves. They would both apologize. They would both forgive one another, right? Even if they are both still very different. 
there will be unity because they're following the directions of the same Holy Spirit. It is when one or both of them refuse to listen to the Spirit and instead want to retain control over their lives because of however, like pride, unforgiveness, stubbornness, then there is division. So the same Spirit unites those who are very different under one church. And so with that, let's pause for our first reflection and discussion question. Are you currently experiencing unity with other believers? If yes, why? If not, why not? And for the kids, uh, those at home, you may want to discuss with your kids. Are there other Christians that you avoid? Why or why not? Okay, let's spend two minutes reflecting on this. Okay, let's look at the second thing that the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit grew the body of believers when He came upon the believers at Pentecost. Now, earlier we saw how we cannot be the church without God's mission of disciple-making. And so when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers at Pentecost, He activated the church for God's mission. So you can, you can sort of imagine like there's a, a, a machinery waiting to be operated. The Holy Spirit is the one where, who came and turned on the power okay, and makes that machine start working. And so immediately after Pentecost, we see a huge flurry of action. The gospel starts to spread far and wide. Now the speaking of different tongues after the Holy Spirit came upon the believers 
was for a purpose. It wasn't just to, wow, so amazing. It was to declare the wonders of God in a language that the unbelievers could understand. It was a sign of things to come when all the nations would praise God in their own languages because the gospel has come to them and united them. And so after the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, the church started to grow, and that happened through the believers spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. If you remember from last week, the Holy Spirit comes directly before being witnesses for Christ. And so there's a direct link to this. And when Peter addresses the crowd, he quotes Joel chapter 2, verse 28. He says, Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on your people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions, and so on. The rest of the prophecy by Joel also talks about the Holy Spirit being linked with prophecy, signs, wonders, and all that is with the aim of getting people to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And so it's not just amazing things for the sake of amazing things. The purpose was to get the people to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And so as we go through the book of Acts in the months to come, we will come across many acts of healing, preaching, miracles, all fantastic things. But the most important part after all those exciting things was the Lord adding to the number of believers as a consistent theme. And so the point of all that, the prophecies, the signs and wonders, the miraculous healing, all that is for people to come to faith in Jesus. And so what that means for us also is that if we have all that, if we have prophecy, healing, signs and wonders, but we are not fulfilling God's mission of making disciples of Jesus, then we are a very exciting social group, but still just a social group. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is often referred to as the paraclete, okay, from Greek, parakletos. And that's usually translated into English as a comforter, right, or advocate. And comforting and supporting the believers is one of the many roles of the Holy Spirit. But as you can see from this passage today, when the Holy Spirit first appeared upon the believers, He brought drastic change. The Holy Spirit didn't come to make people feel better or to feel more comfortable at Pentecost. He came to shake things up. He came to send people to new and unfamiliar territory. He came to send God's people out to spread the gospel and the kingdom of God. And so, friends, that same Holy Spirit is in us, and His mission has not changed. Although the Holy Spirit does His work of comforting us when we need it, giving us peace, guiding us, teaching us, yes, but His mission has not changed. He still wants to send us out. Now, I know all of us in church want our church to grow, right? 
We, we want to see people coming to faith and be baptized. We want to see people freed from bondage of sin. We want to see lives and family transformed. Raise your hand if you want to see growth in this church. <laughs> Those who don't raise their hand also like pressured, right? Keep your hands raised. If you want to see growth in this church, genuinely, truly, okay? Look around you. Okay, every... Okay, most people here want to see growth in this church. And I'm sure those online also are currently raising their hand, right? That they want to see growth in this church. We want to see the church grow. And the... Okay, you can put down your hands, huh? Uh, The good news is, just as the Holy Spirit grew the church in Acts, that is the same Holy Spirit in each of us. He can likewise grow our church. So we want growth in our church, and that's wonderful. But once again, I want to bring you back to my question last week. How are you contributing to the work of disciple-making? If you want to see growth in this church, how are you individually, not the person next to you, but because you raised your hand, right? How are you contributing to that process? Let me give you a very simple example. If we say we want the church to grow, what do we do when we see people worshipping with us for the first time? I'm not talking to the ushers in the church. I'm not talking to the leaders of the church or the people in the membership and evangelism committee. We don't need to ask whose job it is to welcome newcomers because... We all want the church to grow, right? And welcoming people is only one area that contributes to the growth of the church. How about the area of service? Uh, I'll tell you very honestly, it's hard to grow as a church when a minority of people in the church are doing the majority of things. And the same people are doing so much, they cannot fully commit and be effective in a certain area and so we are constantly in need of leaders constantly in need of committee members constantly in need of bb officers constantly in need of worship enablers musicians scripture readers liturgists list goes on av people Uh, this is not the first time you hear me say this right you've heard me say this before because the need is still there Yeah, so we are constantly in need. But that is how much potential our church has to grow. The amount of need that we have is is directly proportionate to the amount of potential that our church has. Can you imagine how much more our church can grow if our greatest concern was not uh, where to find the people and our greatest concern instead was where to send the people? because too many people are answering the call. Too many people are offering help. Can you imagine how much potential the church would have to grow? So the next time you hear of a need that will lead to you growing the church, not just any random need, okay, but a need that will lead you to growing the church, to become involved in growing the church, I challenge you to step forward in faith. The next time somebody approaches you to meet a need that will lead 
to contributing to the growth of the church, I challenge you to embrace it in faith. The Spirit grows the church. I challenge you to seriously consider how you can be part of that work because He wants to involve us in that work. I won't give us another question to reflect on here. Last week's question still stands. What are you currently doing to contribute to disciple-making? Because that will directly impact the growth of the church. Let's move on to our third point. The third thing that the Spirit did during the birth of the church was to empower the believers. Peter, when he was empowered by the Spirit, he gave a sermon that cut to the heart of the people. In other words, he spoke words of truth that didn't stop at theoretical head knowledge. It pierced through into the heart. It became certain truth. Okay, cut to their hearts. Now, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, like I said just now, there were 120 of them. But after Peter preached, about 3,000 were added to their number in the church that day. And so 3,000 were baptized. Imagine that is like over 10 times the amount of people who regularly attend our services, both in person and online, in one day, okay? And that number kept adding daily. And that's not all. In Acts chapter 4, this number grows to 5,000. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know Peter. The Apostle Peter is an impulsive guy. He's quite blur, and he, is, uh, he keeps putting his foot in his mouth. Okay? So you, you know that he, he is not always the wisest of all the Apostles. Okay? But this same Peter turned into a mighty preacher when the Holy Spirit came upon him. This same Peter who denied his Lord three times. This same Peter who constantly could not understand and could not see how Jesus was the Messiah. He would become this great preacher whom God would use to bring about 3,000 plus believers. If they had smartphones back then, and they were recording Peter as he preached his message, you know, on, and it went viral on TikTok or YouTube or whatever, and Peter saw himself preaching, he would not have recognized himself. He would have been utterly amazed because that was not just Peter. That was the Holy Spirit empowering him to preach the message of God. And so likewise, that same Holy Spirit who empowered Peter is still alive and in us and all of us who believe in Jesus today. Many times we feel inadequate, especially when it comes to serving God, making disciples. We feel like, oh God, I'm not in the right position in terms of time, in terms of what I can commit, in terms of uh, how much I know, in terms of my spiritual maturity, in terms of you know, everything in my life, I'm not ready. We feel inadequate. But the Spirit prompts us, and so we know what we should do. In fact, the Spirit often prompts us to be part of God's mission in different ways. And so, even though we feel inadequate, we know, I, uh, 
that there's somebody whom we should share the gospel with or there is a need that I can fill. We know what we should do, but we feel inadequate. We feel scared. Scared that we're not good enough. Scared that we'll cause more harm than good. Scared that the task is so big and we don't see how we can be part of it. But God is bigger than our insecurities. That's why He sent us the Holy Spirit, so that we might live lives that are empowered. God knows and agrees with you that you cannot do it on your own. We cannot on our own. And that's why He sent the Spirit to empower us. He knows the weaknesses of humanity. He knows the fragility of human will. But He does not give us a command that we cannot keep. And He commanded us to make disciples. And so, He sent the Holy Spirit to live in all of us so that we might be able to do His will by His power, not our own. Now, I've spoken to a few people in ministry over the years who have done incredible things, okay? at least in my eyes, those are incredible things. People who have ministered to others so deeply, people who have shared the gospel resulting in uh, person after person giving their lives to Christ, people who have preached incredible sermons that inspired people to transform their lives. And these people are very aware that when these incredible things happen, it's not their doing. And they always, always, always point towards God for credit. Because they themselves, they know themselves, and they know that they themselves would ordinarily have been unable to do those things on their own. It was a God-sized activity for them. And so they were doing ministry as faithfully as they did any other day. But at that particular instance, when a person was drastically transformed or a person accepted Christ and, and that particular time, suddenly something kaliu out of nowhere. What's, what's the Hokkien for kaliu? Keleau, uh, correct. Uh? Yeah, something, something keleau out of nowhere, okay? They, they, are, they are faithfully serving and suddenly something happens, okay? And that is the Holy Spirit empowering them, God working through them to carry out his mission. And so friends, they are not unicorns, they exist, okay? They are you and me. Those people who I'm talking about, people I know personally, I, I won't mention names, lah. okay? But the Holy Spirit works through ordinary people. He empowers ordinary people. And so that in itself should take a load of pressure off your shoulders. Because even though it's our responsibility to do and be our best for God. It is still the Spirit who brings about results. It is the Spirit's job to accomplish His mission. We, we are just part of that work. But that doesn't mean that, you know, we just, uh, Holy Spirit, your job, right? I don't do anything. Lah. No, He wants to involve us in His work. Now, for those of you in our Experiencing God class, uh, or if you've gone through experiencing God before, you, you recognize a lot of what I've been saying, all right? Because that's what we've been going through recently in terms of our unit, uh, uh, unit eight, nine, uh, very common themes. And so God is speaking 
And when we're done with experiencing God, we'll move on to the shape course to help us to discover uh, how God has uniquely created us with our different spiritual gifts to contribute to the building up of the church. And so just a quick uh, primer uh, to, to uh, encourage you, do sign up for this course when we run it. If you're not already aware of your spiritual gifts and how you can fit into uh, God's mission, do join this course when we offer it okay, in the coming months. Now, the reason why I mention this is because we need to make the most of our spiritual gifts. Uh, and we, when we do so, when we are in a position where we are most ready to do God's will, we are allowing the Holy Spirit to work more effectively through us. So He empowers us, yes, but we do have a part to play in preparing ourselves to be used by Him. It's like we're a race car and the Holy Spirit is the driver. Now, the driver is the one who wins the race, right? The, one, the, the driver is the one who gets the credit. But if we're in a horrible condition and we are, our engine is badly maintained, our tires are flat, you know, falling off, we're out of fuel, we are making it more difficult for the driver to use this particular car to win the race, okay? And we use another car, right, to, to, to win the race. So we do still have a responsibility to grow in our relationship with God, to study His Word, to spend time with Him regularly in prayer and worship, to remain in fellowship with one another. All that helps us to keep our car in tip-top condition. But just because we follow the Spirit's leading and join God in His mission, just so you, we, we don't have any uh, delusions about this, it doesn't mean automatic success, okay? Because if you look at S chapter 2, verse 41, it, it says that those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. And what that means is that there were also people who rejected Peter's message. It was not that every single person that he preached to uh, accepted. Okay, there were far more than 3,000 people in Jerusalem that day. And so, it, just because we follow the Spirit's leading, the Spirit empowers us, doesn't mean instant automatic success. And so, if you've ever been in a position where you have obeyed and you have faithfully uh, let the Spirit work through you and there was not instant success and you think, Aya, it wasn't, uh, and maybe God didn't want me to do it. See, I, I, I shared the gospel with this person, then they rejected. They say, the one, the one. Uh, I tried to invite this person to church, they don't want the one. Uh, I better stop trying. No, because when people reject the gospel, they are rejecting God, not us. Okay? Remember, it's still the Spirit's work. Okay? So, be strong and courageous. The Spirit empowers us for God's mission. We just do our part. Let God do His. Let's look at our second and last question for today. What do you need the Spirit's empowering in the most today? And would you bring that before Him in prayer and ask Him for His empowering? And for the kids, what is something God wants you to do that you think you cannot do? And so parents, this is an opportunity for you to lead your kids in asking for the Spirit's empowering in their lives. Okay, two minutes for this.
today, if we have truly given our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit has already come upon us. He is already living in you and with you. And in that sense, every day has the potential to be an Acts chapter 2 kind of day. The Holy Spirit came to shake things up so that the uh, new and better things could happen to the world. And God chose to use His people, the church, ordinary people, people like you, people like me. And so may you allow yourselves to be shaken up for God's mission in this church and beyond. And so I'd like you to know that the Holy Spirit activates the church by uniting it, growing it, and empowering it. You have been united to this same activated church from Acts chapter 2. I'd like you to be empowered by the Spirit. Let Him use you for His purposes, no matter how incapable you might feel. And do get involved in His work of growing His church. There is so much potential in how God can use you for His kingdom's sake. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. You know if our hearts are open to you or if they are shut. You know if we are brave or if we are scared. You know if we are strong or if we are weak. Wherever we are, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would unite us, grow us, and empower us to be a body of Christ. You have done so much to make this possible. Help us to respond in how you intend to involve us in your continuing work. We ask that you would open our hearts. We ask for courage in the face of our fears. And we ask for strength to submit to your Spirit's leading and guidance in our lives. Our hope is in you alone, Lord. We pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.